welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today our guest is Andrew Shutsky. And Andrew is the founder of Redline Equity, a real estate syndication firm where he has over 14 years of real estate rental experience, beginning with the house hack of his first home in 2007. And within the multifamily investment space, he currently is an active as both the general partner and limited partner and has ownership interest in over 1,100 units. And within his first five months, he closed his two deals as a general partner, which is amazing. So we'll definitely get into that a little bit and how he did that. And Andrew is also the host of the Crushing Cashflow podcast. And on top of all of that, he is currently working in the technology space as the chief information officer for $700 million medical technology business based out of Pennsylvania. So Andrew, welcome to the show today. I am excited to have this conversation with you. Grateful for you to be here today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. I can't wait to get into it. So Andrew, can you share with us a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate? Yeah. So like many others out there, I've been kind of in the, I'll say W2 space for close to 20 years now and been grinding away. And just out of college, I bought a home fairly early. I didn't do the renting thing coming out of college. I didn't live with my parents. So in my early 20s, bought my first single family home and was trying to find ways to increase my free cash flow and, and maybe money to spend as well, being in my young 20s, right? Let's be honest. So came across Craigslist and converted my home into now I'll call a house hack. Nobody was calling it then. And from there, I just started looking at expanding from single family to single family, got into short-term rentals about a decade later from there. And then just fairly recently, and I'll say fairly relatively in 2020, uh, found multifamily, found this found a thread on bigger pockets that kind of went into detail of one syndicator's view of the world. And I was like, wow, this is exactly what I didn't know. I didn't know, but it's exactly what I've been looking for. And I'm going to go hard in that direction. So that's kind of my story, you know, about the 60 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> well, share with us a little bit more about, especially as you evolved within your corporate life and why you continued to get involved yeah. in real estate. Yeah. So I kind of graduated. We're just talking about this in the pre-show from Drexel University with a technical degree. So I always a technology guy at heart. And I was always good at it. And that's kind of what I've been known for since and actually my son who's eight years old, but about his age, we've been working in that space or even in the neighborhood with fixing neighbors' computers. So I was always good with technology. And as I graduated college at Drexel, I realized I like kind of working with people just as much, if not more than working with technology. So my career kind of followed a similar path, right? Went into management consulting, Spent a lot of time on the road, making connections, meeting new people. I like the variety of the travel and just seeing different places and working with different clients. And my role kind of evolved into more of the less technical and more business, I'll call it process related, specialized in supply chain and manufacturing, kind of picked that niche and then got even more niched into the medical side of things. So kind of med devices, supply chain and operations focus, and then technology enabling those areas. And as my career progressed, as it became more niche, it also became kind of my elevating my levels of responsibility. So I've been really fortunate over the last 20 years to have kind of drastically increasing levels of responsibility up into like the management level now. So, which has been great. So as you first got started in your early twenties in real estate, looking for ways just to create extra income for yourself, 
has that evolved over time as you got more and more involved in real estate? Was it just always just looking for additional income? What was the end goal essentially with getting more and more involved and building up your portfolio? Yeah, no, great question. As I started out, to be honest, it was kind of a hobby, right? Like, oh, this is interesting. This is cool. Let me just make some extra cash, maybe build some additional equity. I figured it would work long term, but I quickly realized that trying to scale that way and ultimately be able to not have to work until I'm 65, 62, or even 60 is my ultimate goal, right? So how do you do that? If you stay in a W-2, regardless of level, most people spend what they make out of their W-2. Most people get highly taxed. The more you make, the more Uncle Sam takes, right? It's not that you couldn't retire mid to late 50s, but I'm thinking to myself, how do I increase, drastically increase the probability of being able to retire in my late 40s even, right? I just happen to know these pockets of real estate, originally thinking, hey, I could do this through single family after single family or short-term runoff or short-term runoff. You start to do the numbers, the cash to close on those properties versus what you get back is astronomical. Even if you're really fortunate, like my wife and myself, you're still not going to get there for some time, right? Which is kind of what led me to the multifamily commercial real estate syndication space, which I've seen has been a massive accelerator in getting to that early retirement piece. How did you discover multifamily when you saw it? What about that model was different than the single family for you? And how did that kind of play in your role in how you thought about your financial space and what you were planning to do with your retirement and the future yeah. for you and your family? No, I love it. So it's interesting. I had been first exposed to multifamily and specifically apartment buildings back on the road to consulting. I used to pick a new book to read every week. I was on planes all the time and I'll often learn more about real estate in different aspects. Honestly, just randomly pick tax advantages of real estate, commercial real estate, industrial, all these different flavors, self-storage. It's funny, at that point, it didn't stick. Maybe it was just the way I was reading it or I was tired that morning, whatever, but it wasn't until really late, really into early 2020, like late 2019, I came across Bigger Pockets. And I think everybody listening here has either heard of it. If you haven't, it's one of the largest either real estate and financial and business forums out there that I know of. So I came across this thread in November of 2020 specifically that was written by a guy who'd be local to Pennsylvania to me, a syndicator here, and kind of told his story about how he was able to quit his job as a CPA and how he leveraged the power of commercial apartments and investing there to kind of get him where he wanted to be much earlier than he expected. So I'm like, oh my God, this is exactly what I didn't know about. Like I mentioned earlier in the show that I wish I had known about 10, 15 years ago as I, timing wise, right? If you, the best time to invest in real estate is 20 years ago, the second best time is today, that whole cliche, right? But it's true. If I had known what I known, and I know we'll get to this later in the show, the market shift from like, let's say 2010 to, to now, and to we're talking and recording in May of 22 has been dramatic, right? So every three to five years has been huge opportunities that you wish you knew about in the past, right? We'll probably be saying the same thing five or 10 years from now. Hey, I wish I got into this in 2022. That's been my journey along the way. And uh, that's kind of what got me where I am today. That thread, that 62, 63 page thread on bigger pockets was exactly what led me to where I am. When you discovered multifamily and you discovered the syndication space, what were some of the steps that you took to get involved in the first deal? And then how did that turn out for you? Did you start off as a general partner or did you start off as a limited partner? Because I know you did both. Yeah, no, great question. Again, I did start as a limited partner. Number one, you don't really know what you're getting into. I can't recommend jumping right in as a GP without doing. I like to have experienced what does it feel like to be a passive investor before you go offer that to others. So that same thread I talked about in Bigger Pockets led me to a number of channels. I read dozens of books, hired a mentor and a coach, and he recommended the same thing. Hey, why not jump into a deal? Get your feet wet. 
kind of ask if you can shadow a little more closely. And that's exactly what I did. And it didn't take long for that to rub off and accelerate, right? Because that first role as a limited partner, wow, this is great. Got my first distribution, started to see the financials coming in. I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to be more involved. How do I go faster? How do I really turn up the dial on this investing thing? Because ultimately, if you do one passive investment every few years, you'll get there. But could I get there even faster? Can I turn the dial up? And I think most importantly, I was just passionate about this. I love the field. I love the people we work with. And I love the investment vehicle in general, right? So how do I go faster was the main question. And that for me led me from the shift from a limited partner to starting to look for partnerships in the general side. Fantastic. So then after the limited partnership side, at least from the limited partner passive investing side, what was the biggest thing that you were looking for to get out of your sponsor as you were jumping in as a first time passive investor into a completely different new space way of investing? What wasn't I looking for? Because right? <laughs> you think about yeah, exactly, you're working 40, 50 plus hours a week, a fairly high profile position in W2, which I do really enjoy. But the question is, number one, you lack experience coming in, right? So who, where can I find the experience, the knowledge, the deal flow out there that can help me analyze, can help me learn, to help me grow, help me de-risk my investments along with my ultimately to come, my investors, right? So coming in three, four months on the scene, you've read all these books, you listen to podcasts, you've got your mentor, you're ready to go, but you don't know what you don't know. So I'm looking for that wealth of experience. I'm looking for partners who have access to deals access to investors, to shadow, to learn. I was really willing to do any role. And looking back, maybe you try to do too many things at once in the beginning, right? Whereas you just say, hey, what is the one thing I really want to do? And over time, I've learned it to be to be two things. One is I love looking for and vetting deals. And I love talking to investors and just sharing my story with them and inviting them to invest alongside me and then kind of managing the investor relations side of things. Not trying to do asset management, not trying to do the operations, CapEx planning, construction, all the other 9 million hats out there. So really just getting dialed in on what do I really want to bring to the table versus what should I leverage other people for? Because you can't do them all and work 50 hours a week and do them well, right? In my opinion. Right. So then after that, when you finally discovered the sponsor that you had connected well with, it was a match for you guys and you decided to jump in. How did you get into your first general partnership side and when did that kind of happen? And follow up to that, you got into the general partnership within five months after you decided to start getting on the active. How did that all come about for you? So maybe a little bit of luck and a little bit of perseverance <laughs> mentioned joining the mastermind. And I thought maybe a lot of groups seemed to come together through there. And actually for me, it didn't. That was the more traditional path. I had also signed up for a number of conferences and there was one, this is you know right in the middle of COVID or just right after COVID had gotten into full swing and kind of Q1 of 2020 going into Q2. Started joining maybe a half a dozen conferences in the weekends and some at nights and joining session after session, joining virtual happy hours and kind of came to a common connection after a lot of one-on-ones with people where he's like, hey, I've got a couple of deals going on. And I was listening, had an ear to the ground. And I was like, hey, how can I help you? And I maybe made that pitch a dozen times before one really stuck. And it was beneficial for this individual and for me. That's kind of how it unfolded. And from there, they always say momentum builds, momentum breeds momentum. It just kind of spiraled, right? And now I'm getting, I feel like I'm not willing to wear 10 different hats in the beginning where I was like, I'll do anything, whatever you want me to wear. I bring this wealth of corporate experience. I know I can apply it to the real estate side of things, right? So I've gotten more selective every time I work with, why I work with, with properties, that kind of thing. But just in the beginning, it was just through brute force networking and just matchmaking, I'd say. Because you work such a high profile job also, or you're working as an executive in technology, how have you been able to 
manage that side of things, the active side of things, and then also building up your passive investments. And how does all this play down the road for you to be able to get to your retirement early age or what you're looking for to do financially? We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Yeah. So number one, it's not easy to to try to balance everything. And some weeks are are easier than others, right? Because you have got the family side of things. I've got the W2 life and I've got the real estate. I see them. If you try to box everything into its own corner, it can get complicated at times, right? So I do use things like time blocking where I'm very, very careful to use certain hours of the day that are sacred for the W-2. And there's certain hours of the day that I try to keep sacred for real estate investing and same for the family, right? So for instance, as an example, like Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings, I get up early. I mean, I just naturally wish I could sleep in. I can't. The family sleeps in. I get a good two to three, maybe sometimes four hours on those mornings. And most people would wish they could sleep. Maybe I do as well but they're some of the most productive time in the week. And I don't have as much time during the week. In fact, sometimes reporting podcasts late at night or early in the morning as a guest or host is what it comes down to. Analyzing deals, it might be us exchanging emails with a partner at 9 p.m. or 6 or 5 in the morning. So I try to keep everything boxed off as much as I can, but that's not how life works, right? Life is messy sometimes. Things blend together. My kid gets sick. I get the whole day. I had planned to spend the whole day traveling for the W-2 or something. I might get called back home. So you got to have a plan. I like the time blocking concept of early mornings and weekends for the real estate piece, but life gets in the way sometimes. You just got to be flexible, right? When you're looking at when you first started and you got into your role as a journal partner, what about that particular deal for the first two that you did within those five months? What made them good deals for you as a journal partner as you're looking for ways to participate as on the journal active side of things? So first things first, I always ask myself, does this make sense for me as a limited investor? Because I invest in every deal I do, you know, general partner, limited partner, whatever it may be. Does it make sense? Does the asset make sense? There are assumptions behind there. I think everybody knows the cutoff for returns, if they're good or bad, right? But what are the assumptions behind them, right? What are we looking at for rent growth? Is it conservative in terms of where we're going to exit? Are the rents that we're assuming going to be conservative? Are the expenses reasonable and accurate? Do we have the right eyes looking at it from a project manager or a program manager or a property manager standpoint? Do they Have they vetted the deal? What is the experience of the team? So I ask myself the same questions, whether I'm investing passively and if that sniff test, then also it makes sense as a general partner. And a general partner, what you got to realize is that you're in this for the long haul, right? This isn't a like a flip on a single family where you can pull money together, knock out a project in five or six months and flip it. That'd be great if you could do that. And maybe we've seen some of that happening in 2021 and 2010 too, but you can't count on that. Because what you know, I think going forward, there's personality differences between team members and somebody might be great at finding deals and, and even getting financing and underwriting, but they may not be somebody you want to spend five years with. So that's the sniff test is as you engage in a deal, it's a lot easier to be a limited investor because it's just your cash being work, right? But as you're a general partner, the shift becomes you're in a business now. 
and you're in a business relationship with these partners. So you better hope you like to spend time with them because you're going to be spending time with them for many years to come. Maybe half a decade, maybe longer, right? We don't know. So that's the biggest difference I've seen between I want to be a passive investor. Yeah, it passes on my test. The team looks good on paper. They've got the experience. They've got the track record. But do you want to spend time with these individuals for five years? I'd say I'm a pretty easygoing guy, but it's not always going to be a great match for most people, right? You don't know until you know. What was the best way for you to build up your relationships, looking for other sponsors, whether it be actively or general or as an active limited partner? How did you start looking for the different places to start building up those relationships with everybody that you're potentially interested in investing with? No, I love that one. It's something I'm not afraid to share at all. It's kind of rapid fire for a while, right? So I'd say just putting myself out there has been the most special thing, whether it's being a guest on a podcast, posting on Facebook groups, posting on LinkedIn, engaging with mastermind members, joining different masterminds, joining different mentorship groups, and just being proactive about reaching out to people and spending, you know, making it a point, active point to spend, carve out an hour a week just to have 15 minute meet and greets with people. Cause you don't know, like, yeah, nine times out of 10, it might not be a fit. Maybe you can help each other, but that one out of 10 or that one out of 20 it's a numbers game, right? Whether it's finding properties or finding partners, you just got to keep firing. You got to just keep driving hard. And once you find one or two that click, you can really narrow in and focus your time on working with those two, one or two individuals or that one or two brokers. You don't have to take the spray and pray approach in the beginning, right? You're just kind of firing over the place. But like that's what for me has been effective was just the volume of just meeting lots of people and putting yourself out there and just don't hold back. Right. So if you were to narrow it down to maybe like the top three things with the sponsors that you like to work with that you find are the most important things to you as an investor, what would those three things be? I love it. So first and foremost is integrity, right? Do they operate with the same level of principles? Anybody can find good deals if you fire enough of them out there. Do they value the same things? They value the, like I talk about integrity. I'll talk about transparency and just like, hey, when things go bad, when things don't go bad, What are we doing about it? And keeping that lines of communication open. I know I'm kind of getting into one and two here, but I'd say they need to share the same values. They need to be able to to value like, hey, let's put our investors first mindset. Every decision we make, everything we do, everything we analyze should be, what would this look like for our investors? Would it make sense to them? Whether it's investing in additional CapEx funding or taking on a different, like a bridge loan versus fixed rate debt. Does it make sense in an investor's first mindset? I don't want to keep twisting those words. Accountability is a big thing. I'll call that number two, right? And just each person knows the role. Each person does, they say, they do what they're going to say and say what they're going to do. That's really, really important to me. And number three is just pure, plain and simple, just open lines of communication. You know, I've seen some over communicate, which is rare. I'll take that over lack of communication. You know, one deal I'm in, three or four simple questions in an email, you don't get a response, you call a meeting, they don't show up. And it's like three days later, oh, sorry, I was on a plane. To me, there's no excuse for that. Everybody's busy. Everybody's got things to do. Keep the lines of communication open. It just keeps the stress levels low. To me, I know that's probably more than three if you you go unpack that first one, but I think that's just what's important to me. There's so many people you can work with. Why not work with those that align with your values? When you first started and you found multifamily, you saw the model and you believed that this model would help to accelerate your potential retirement down the road. You're getting to your financial freedom much faster than what you anticipated. Now that you're in it, you've done limited partnerships. You've also been a general partner in a couple of deals as well. Do you still feel the same way that multifamily and syndication space has or will continue to accelerate 
your path to financial freedom? Without a doubt. And honestly, if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be offering my investment spaces to my fellow W2 professionals, right? I mean, I can't think of a better way. I mean, I always invest somewhat in stocks, but you look at the volatility going on right now. It's a great example. You don't know what's going to come. I seek stability. How do I put my money to work, right? Because if you look at what if I didn't invest in real estate? What if I just did the 401k and everything else like that? And all you have is really your bonus money, maybe your stock options that you're just sitting there, you're putting somewhere else. How do I take control of that and at least have uh, increase my odds of you know, that compounding interest, that compounding growth year over year? If I didn't have real estate, I don't have a better vehicle for wealth generation than multifamily real estate right now. For you, Andrew, what are you the most excited about coming up here in the near future? Plan the next deal, right? It's all about kind of just chipping away year over year, like long-term strategy. We've got some, myself, my partners have some goals we want to hit. We're launching a director seller campaign right now in the Northeast, sorry, the Southeast and Northeast. And just getting this chipping away at the block, right? It's not trying to take down a thousand units at a time or free a thousand investors, free them up from being able to fill their dreams in the next year. It's it's chipping away, right? It's the non-sexy stuff. Doing another deal or two this year is really, it gets me excited and it kind of completes my life, right? It just grinds away. And it's not that I need a release, but it's real estate just kind of fills that one piece of the puzzle that it never knew I needed, right? It's interesting once you get into this space, when you become passionate about it, when you love what yeah. you're doing, it just becomes part of your identity and how you look at life and what you're looking to to achieve. It just becomes part of you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So Andrew, how has real estate investing impacted your life so far? So I certainly learned a lot, right? Like I spent a lot of time prior to really getting into multifamily, just learning a lot about the residential side of things and rents and different really local markets without that. Since I've gotten into multifamily, number one, it's expanded. Oh my gosh, be investing all over the US. And now I've, I've selected two or three markets that are not really particularly close to my hometown, but it's opened my eyes to potential, right? Like I always knew I wanted to accelerate retirement or have an, a path to early retirement. Now I have a vehicle to do it. Bottom line, right? I have a, a very tangible way that I can either passively or actively invest. It gets to, allows me to reinvest those RSUs as stock options and the, and the bonus plan year over year, right? So there's a way to really compound wealth that's tangible with hard assets. And if there was one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? Save more money early no. <laughs> or invest at post 2010, right? Of course, that would be great hindsight, right? No, in all seriousness, I wish I had known about the possibilities of scale back in my 20s, right? Because that would have been puts you in a different position. You start back in your 20s, it's almost like the Warren Buffett syndrome. Like he was never like a genius investor. He just knew he wanted to start in his teens, right? Which nobody really does. So just like Warren, you start in your early 20s versus for me, it was really got serious in my mid 30s. I just, you're just in a much different position later in life. So if I had known about the possibilities about, hey, I don't need to have $3 million down to go buy an apartment building on my own money. There's other ways via syndication you can accomplish those goals. Man, what a game changer. And then what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? To me, it's consistency, right? You don't have to be the most brilliant person out there. You don't have to have like insider information or secret relationships with brokers. You just need to be very consistent, right? You need to know what you want and go after it with rigor and consistency. Awesome. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experiences and what you've been doing in real estate with us. I really appreciate that. No problem. I love the opportunity and thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And so for our listeners out there who also want to find out more about what you're doing, follow your story, maybe check out your podcast as well. Where's the best place that they can go? 
So simple. Our website is kind of connects you to everything. So it's investwithredline.com. Company name is Redline Equity. We've got our link to our podcast in there. We've got a free eight-part investing course. You can check it on there. We've got our investor club. If you want to follow along, maybe learn as a general partner, your first timer, you want to follow along what we do, what our deal flow looks like, or what, what our onboarding process looks like, check us out. Investwithredline.com. Awesome. Thank you so much again for your time, Andrew. No problem. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.